All right, it's on now. There we go. It's opposite of the uh, other ones. Are, I'm supposed to go, all right, all right, all right? No. All right. I, it's, I, I sound like Matthew McConaughey there. All right, all right, all right. All right, good morning, everybody. Hey, it's great to see everybody. We have uh, some special guests from Confirmation. Confirmation children, how are you? Good. All right, um, with that, I know Pastor Bruzek is teaching about prayer, and I kind of want to brag about the Confirmation kids in front of them. Um, and also, for you parents who have Confirmation kids, you guys are doing a great job raising your children in the faith. We, I have a little assignment that I wanted the kids to write a prayer, writing prayers, and uh, last week they were written on the, uh, based on the first three commandments. So they could just write a prayer about one of the first three commandments, to which, what, what's the first three commandments? Adults. Okay, good. One, what's the second one? Take the Lord's name in vain. Revis out there. Okay, great, excellent. I'm glad if somebody reminds, uh... yes. Okay, all right. Just... Anyways, okay, great. So, um... I, the, your, your children turned in these great prayers. I mean, I was so excited to read these prayers. And so I thought, hey, we'll share them. I'm not going to tell who it is. So, which means even the person who wrote it won't remember it. So, <laughs> but it actually was written by a confirmation child. So, all right, so let's pray. Dear Lord, please help me to never turn aside from you. Please help me to remember you by worshiping you on Sunday and any other time I can. Please also help me to be mindful of what I say, for I do not desire to misuse your most holy name. In the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Um, Yeah, we're too far behind. Um, I was going to do like five of them. But this is really exciting. This goes to show that... You as parents are, are leading your children in the faith in a way that actually is practical. You, know, you always wonder whether it works or not. I don't know about you as parents. I'm always like, do they understand what in the world I'm saying to them? And then, lo and behold, it happens. It's crazy. All right. Um, so today we're going to talk about the sabbatical. And I had a little just, just pictures running here from our, our time this last summer. Uh, it's not going to be... I thought about turning the lights down low, raising the temperature up in this room, and then using a slide projector for the next 45 minutes. But I I decided not to do that. So it's going to be a little different. Um, I've had a lot of people, you know, hey, are we ever going to see pictures and things like that? Um, I just don't know how practically to do that. So uh, you you could have came to the uh, afternoon circle. That would have been nice. But I won't post them on the Internet. I won't share them over the, over the internet because I don't like doing that. So, sorry. Uh, Jody. Oh, yeah, I have this announcement right here. Well, hopefully the baskets are on your tables. Okay, that's where they are. But uh, I'm assuming the money that's supposed to go inside them are going to go to Christmas sharing. Offering is going to Christmas sharing today, so... Okay. 
Yeah, I don't think Christmas sharing needs the baskets. Carol, do you just need the baskets for any particular reason? You, just, right, you need money in them. All right, great. So, all right, so instead of uh, just showing you a random pictures, this is a uh, picture of the KGB headquarters in uh, Vilnius, Lithuania. Um, we're the, uh, that, that's now a um, museum called the Museum of the Occupation. So um, feel free to ask any questions because I, I spent three months away. And as you might figure, there is a lot to talk about over the three months. And so really trying to figure out how to distill that into 40 minutes is really unreasonable. <laughs> so um, so I, just, well, I just wanted to pick out some things, OK? So first of all, sabbatical is, um, you know, it's about clergy renewal. And one of the things is, why, 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 why would you have a sabbatical? And, and these are just six reasons. I, you know, I gave reasons earlier in May, late April and May. But, um, you know, it's, it's, it's really a time for spiritual development for the pastor. The pastor is, spends time giving, right, preaching, administering the sacraments. And so this is a really uh, an opportunity for the pastor to spend some time developing his own soul. It's also hopefully a time to uh, be creative. I think um, that is uh, something that's not really encouraged, even amongst pastors, but the whole idea that pastors need to spend some time thinking about being creative. Because, I mean, you know, who likes boring Bible studies and boring sermons? Some of you might. Um, but also, too, this is a time for refresh and stave off burnout. I think I might have mentioned that in, in April and May. Uh, there was a study done on vocation, uh, jobs and burnout that was done uh, just a, a earlier in the 2000s. And uh, there's one job that has a higher rate of burnout than clergy. Clergy's tied with a couple. But the, the only one that's, that has a higher rate of burnout is police officers. Um, second is clergy, firemen, actually, and um, crisis grief counselors. You know, people who will, like, go to Sandy Hook and, and talk with... So, that they're all kind of statistically in the same. Anyways, so it, it, it's, a real, it's a reality that needs to be... So, part of that is vitality. Um, a great quote is, um, churches will get tired of tired pastors. And then there's, you know, comp time. And then congregational growth. Now, here at St. John, we have a great staff, um, but we have a great group of volunteers. And, I, you know, Pastor Bruzek's been here for a couple decades. And I know he's said in the past how, um, you know, if, if, uh, if a pastor were to leave, the congregation would still be able to function until the new pastor, would, like things fall apart. So actually, a sabbatical is an opportunity for the congregation then to kind of um, come together, to grow in ministry together, and not necessarily become, quote-unquote, dependent upon the pastor. So th- those, are, those are some of the reasons, and I, you know, and I think these are all really good reasons. But um, my sabbatical plan was time for prayer, time to study Lutheran identity, uh, rest, reflection, and then kind of transitioning to come back to being a pastor. So that, that's real simple, but... Our first, our, our, my first time, first stop, in a sense, 
was uh, Holy Hill, which is in southeastern Wisconsin. For those who are interested in geography, it's the highest point in southeastern Wisconsin. And uh, a group of Irish settlers built a church on top of this hill. So it's, very, it's actually very it's beautiful. It used to be a monastery. No longer is a monastery. Um, Luke, Henry. All right. Um, so I spent three days at Holy Hill in prayer by myself. We, uh, I didn't speak to anybody. Um, except for one, one woman who was with some small children. There's a group of hiking trails, and she kind of got turned around. She's like, how do I get back to the church? So I just go this way. Um, other than that, I didn't speak to anybody until, uh, until uh, my, uh, well, I saw my family at the end. But there's two things that I, I tr- tried to do while at Holy Hill. And one was I wanted to read through 1 Timothy. 1 Timothy is a pastoral epistle where Paul is writing to Timothy, who's a young pastor, about being a pastor. And so I spent every day uh, reading this book several times a day for three days uh, and just meditating. And really, to be honest, I never really got past the fifth, fifth verse um, in terms of thinking about meditating. And uh, the aim of our charge is love that issues from a pure heart and a good conscience and a sincere faith. Um, he's writing to Timothy as a pastor. And I'm going to try to read from my journal a little bit. We'll see how that goes. But one of the things was, is I, I uh, in seminary, I don't think I ever heard my job as a pastor put so well as in 1 Timothy 1.5. Oftentimes, my job as a pastor is to make sure to teach the right doctrine and minister the sacraments rightly, which is not exclusive of love, of course. I, I, love, I love my parishioners, so I want to do these things. But um, this idea that what I'm aiming at... So uh, sin, by the way, sin is missing the mark. That's the technical kind of literal way of understanding sin, missing the mark. So when uh, aim, the idea of aiming is important because when you miss, you sin. But um, so this idea of Paul bringing, bringing up this Im- aiming image was really important for me as a pastor to think about how, how I love and how I am loved and how that has to be just kind of a normal way we talk about each other or with each other, which, of course, Pastor Bruzek does that all the time, right? What does he say? Love ya. Okay. So, and the, the other thing, though, is friendship as pastoral care. Um, well, I'm hoping. So, anyway, so these are some, just some pictures from uh, Holy Hill. I don't know. if we, Do we need to turn the lights down? Put on some soft music? Um... It was, a, it was a beautiful place. It was built in uh, the late 19th and early 20th century. Uh, yeah, it was nice. It was great. There's uh, Isaac and Penelope, which was great. They just went up there and knelt just because. I guess that's what you do at the altar rail. Um, and here's my room right here. That's all I had, a bed and a desk and chair. It was great. I didn't spend a lot of time in there besides sleeping. So you had to make your own meals down in the kitchen, which is, is similar to the kitchen here at St. John. I, I had a, I have to, because people will come, 
and they will just leave their stuff. <laughs> Thinking, hey, I know someone else is going to, this is good stuff. We're going to leave it because someone else will use it. And I have, we're, is Carol Tony's in here? Okay. <laughs> I thought of you. I thought of you when I went down there because I could not just let those things sit there. <laughs> so I actually, I threw away a bunch of like, I mean, stuff from like 2016. <laughs> it was so funny. I thought so. Anyways, okay. Never mind. So I, you made, made your meals by yourself. Okay. So, um, so, so one of the things about friendship as pastoral care, and this is, this is one of the things that uh, was really important for me through the entire three months, because my family, while we would, uh, so we went to, to Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania for three weeks in June. We came back, then we went to Wisconsin. And intermittent through our time is visiting pastors, whether we visited Lithuanian pastors or pastors from Wisconsin or even pastors here in Illinois. And one of the things that was really important for me to kind of explore with these pastors was friendship. Friendship is, I would, I would probably argue, is, is a lost relationship in today's society, especially in the United States. Um, what, is, what, is, what is a friend? What does it mean to be a friend? And, of course, social media has kind of watered all that down, but um, I think life has watered that down also. But what's interesting is in Holy Scripture, in John 15, but also exemplified in the Old Testament between Jonathan and David, is, in, is friendship. There's two relationships that the New Testament points out as mimicking God's relationship with his people. One is marriage, that's from Ephesians chapter 5, and then one is friendship from John chapter 15. And if you're a big Jungle Book fan, you would know this, because no greater love has no one than one who would lay down his life for his friends. Who, of course, in the Jungle Book is when Baloo dies for Mowgli. But he doesn't really die. They think he's dead. Um, not, he, you know, but, is this ringing a bell for anybody? Anybody remember that? <laughs> it's a very powerful scene. Goodness. I know it's animation, but still, come on. All right, so, so friendship is, 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 is a sign of our relationship with God. So Christ as a friend. Now, I think we just sang last week, what a friend we have in Jesus. Although that's a real nice phrase, but the rest of the hymn, I'm kind of like, ah, that's not quite enough for me. But um, that, that phrase is really great. What a friend we do have in Jesus. That's, that's really important. But as pastors, pastors have, are, are isolated people. They have a job that's isolated. Uh, now, here at St. John, we're not so isolated because we have three pastors. So having Pastor Bukes and Pastor Bruzek with me is very helpful because we're able to share things, you know, things that go to the core of who we are as pastors. But, um, but I know a lot of my friends who have no pa- friends as pastors because, like maybe you in your workplace, there's people who would like to see you to fail, get your job, or, or like you see to fail because then that makes them look better. And that happens even in the, the pastorate. And it shouldn't, of course. But when Jesus says to the 12 disciples that you are now my friends, you, I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. That is, the, that is the paradigm for pastor. Pastor-to-pastor relationships is friends. Now that, that's, you know, that's all esoteric and not true. 
practically speaking, but theologically this is true, is that by virtue of our ordination, we now have this common bond, this commitment to one another that is as strong as death. And St. Alured of, of Rivo, I mean, our favorite, I'm sure there's a St. Alured Lutheran church somewhere. Probably not, but um, there should be. He was an abbot from the uh, 11th century, 12th, uh, 11th and 12th century, who wrote extensively on, on friendship. Now, as an abbot, he was a very popular abbot. He had many uh, uh, lay monks and priests that was at, at the monastery, over 500 at one time. And he was very influential at, at, at this time within the church. And so he had this great kind of environment to explore friendship because they were all celibate. I mean, they, no, no, no one was married, so they had to learn what it meant to be a real friend. And it's, it's a great book. It's called Spiritual Friendship, and I'm sure Women's Bible Study will be reading it. Um, but what, what it shows is how friends, what's it, been great is that uh, he has a term called dearest friend. And as a pastor, I never learned about friendship in seminary. The only time I ever talked about friendship in seminary was whether you could have a friend as a, a, in your congregation. One of the lay people be your friend. Now, I don't know why that was presumed that f- pastors would have friends amongst each other, but that was never brought up. So a dearest friend, as St. Alirid says, is one who actually you open up your heart and you become like one. Now, which of course for many of us sounds like marriage. But remember, friendship and marriage have a higher calling in our relationship to, who, to God. So he can talk this way because he's talking about our union with our Lord Jesus. So it's important, and, and actually this is actually uh, exemplified in history, there are actually uh, graveside, graves uh, in, in England, for instance, where uh, two men who are called friends. Now, friends at that time was a, it was almost like a technical term. Oh, you're friends with him. Okay. That means you guys are close. And of course, in the Old Testament, what is, who, who exemplifies that? Is Jonathan and David. They were, they were together. They were one as, as friends. Now, the reason why that's important for pastors is because your wife cannot be your dearest friend. Now, that might sound weird. It might sound harsh. My, friend, my, my, my wife is my best friend. But dearest friend is another way of understanding that because I can't go home and talk about you to my wife all the time. And that should, be, that should be a good comfort for you, by the way. <laughs> and through my travels this summer, I've, I've, I've talked to a, a handful of pastors who actually did that with their wife. Not, not fully, but unintentionally, because they had no friend who was a pastor. And what happens when someone who's unequipped to bear heavy burdens actually is, is forced to carry heavy burdens. How, what, what do you think would happen to them? Okay, that, that's, one, that's a result. 
yeah, they'll talk to their friends. Whether it be gossipy or I, it's, this, Michael said, they will collapse. When someone who's unprepared, they're going to either try to unload that load, like, this is too much for me. But of course, a wife who loves her husband wants to, to bear that burden for him. That, that's, not, that's not appropriate as a pastor's wife. A pastor needs a friend who knows exactly the relationship, what's happening between pastors. And it puts, it puts the wife at a very unfair position. But I, I have seen that. I, I've seen many, many pastor's wives who are actually very uh, either depressed or um, just kind of, for lack of a better term, beaten down by what's happening in the parish when that shouldn't be the case because a pastor needs a friend. The other last thing about St. Eliard is that he talks about friendship as holiness. A friend helps you become holy. And so that's a whole other aspect. But anyways, uh, like I said, I could talk a lot, so I'm going to stop right there. But this was, this was a seed sown at Holy Hill, and I was able to then kind of practice and observe this throughout the summer with other pastors I had visited. Um, all right, so the Baltics. This is a, the part where a lot of people would like to know more about. Three weeks in, in the Baltics. Uh, it was time with family, time to understand Lutheran history and identity, and then, and then also meeting Lutherans. Uh, people have asked, asked why the Baltics? Uh, it, it really stems from our, our, our relationship with the Siberian Lutheran bishop, Sivlad Litkin. Sivlad Litkin actually became bishop of Siberia through the Estonian Lutheran Church. So he was cared for by the Estonian Lutheran Church. Now, what a lot of us don't know, because we have a very strong German Lutheran history, is that the Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania accepted the Lutheran Reformation in 1523. This is before, like, for new Lutheran nerds out there, before uh, the, the, the confession of the Augsburg, uh, the Augsburg Confession, the, 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 the public statement of Lutheran identity. Um, in fact, the first books... Is Betsy here? Betsy Karkin? Oh, that's right. Thank you. Should have known. Oh, the reason why I, me- I mentioned her is because she, this last year at the 500th anniversary celebration, uh, they, she actually had a copy of Luther's Small Catechism in Lithuanian. Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, the first three books that were written in those languages happened to be Luther's small catechisms. So, it's kind of a big deal. Also, too, again, entering into kind of nerdville about Lutheran history is uh, two important theologians from this region. Theodosius Harnack, who actually taught in Estonia, and then um, Johann Gerhard Heyman, who is a philosopher, he, he actually was from Riga. Heyman is probably, if you were to, again, just so happen to want to look up some current Lutheran influence. Heyman's probably the most influential Lutheran, historic Lutheran, now in theology. He was actually uh, mentioned even by a variety of other Christians as, as a one who's very influential in um, a, the, kind of the response to the Enlightenment. For those who, that might mean some, something to some people. But um, anyways, so yeah, long Lutheran history. 
different contexts than here in the United States. Then, of course, you also have the communist history question. How did these churches survive communism? And then how are they building the church back up post-communism? So I wanted to learn all about that. It was great. All right, so Estonia. This is uh, Tallinn, Estonia, very beautiful city, very medieval. It has one of the most intact medieval cities, uh, city centers in, in all of Europe. Estonia, Latvia, and Lithuania, by the way, are not Eastern European. They're Northern European. Just if you want to sound smart, please do that. All right, so this is, uh, this is the main church in, in uh, Tallinn, Estonia. It's St. Mary's Lutheran Church. Uh, it's, it's just called the cathedral. Uh, as as uh, some of these churches, you can kind of actually tell right here, they've been built over the centuries, so you have all, like, all these different additions. You know, sometimes I feel like, you know, it's, it's, like, it's like my friend's house, who, growing up, in case he's listening, I won't mention his name, um, you know, he's got the main house, and then as the family got bigger, they put on another addition, another addition. Nothing quite matches. Floor's a little up, you know, a little down. That's how some of these churches are. Um, but I, wanted to, I think I, I try to show all the, the organs in all these places. You know, we just, we, we got a uh, concert coming up. Two weeks. It's the last concert, or uh, the last kind of roll out the organ kind of thing. Um, the other thing, too, uh, so the churches were really interesting to see, but also, too, in Estonia is uh, the, the Lutheran art. So there was quite a bit of art that was, sorry about, I don't know how to, to fix the photo, so it's crooked. Um, <laughs> you get the picture, I think. Um, this is Michael Sittow. He was a Reformation painter, a Lutheran painter who uh, did a lot of work all over Europe, from the courts of uh, Ferdinand and Isabella, to work in Italy and, and, and Florence, to, and then Tallinn. And, and so uh, Tallinn was, was a great town to kind of see the survival of Lutheran art. Because other parts, especially like in Luther's you know, Wittenberg, a lot of the art was destroyed by the iconoclasts who were kind of radical ref- reformers, the, the schwarmers, the Germans, who felt like any image of Jesus or any statue had to be destroyed because it was considered idol worship. Very apropos for the commandments and confirmation, of course, because we as Lutherans, though, believe in the incarnation. And Jesus is a human. And art being a reflection of our humanity. So, there was a lot of pieces in Tallinn that, was, that actually were hidden by some of the pastors when the mobs came to destroy um, these pieces of art. So uh, this, you can go on the internet and see a lot of these, lot of these images. But Michael Sittow, this is Mary and baby Jesus, uh, was a very well-known painter. And they had an exhibit where all of his paintings scattered all over the world were brought into one spot kind of in anniversary of the 500th anniversary, uh, celebration of the 500th anniversary of the Reformation, and also their 100th year of independence, which we'll get to in a second. So it was a great time. Then we got to go out into the, so I try to balance our time between my Clark Griswold. I don't know if you guys know who Clark Griswold is. 
I have, I have, a, I have, a, I have a little, like, right next to baby Jesus in my heart, like Clark, Clark Griswold lives. I have a lot, I mean, I'm, I'm the guy who uh, I want to do a lot of great things on vacation, and my family's going to have a great time no matter what. <laughs> okay. So I should try to balance things, and one, the way I balanced it was time in the city, looking at churches, doing the boring stuff, with, uh, like, going out into nature. So Estonia, all three of these countries are, are not very populated, so there's a lot of nature involved. And we went out to Lachama National Park, and this is a cabin we stayed in. Uh, it's hard to see through the trees, but the sea is right here, so we were able to, to walk right through here. This was actually a, uh, a field where they had um, Baltic, uh, Baltic cows. I, 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 that's not what they were called, though. I, I, I have it written in my journal, but I... Uh, anyways... So, yeah, you just walk around with these, these big cows, and it was great. But I, we didn't get a picture of them because they usually ran away when we got close. Um, so we went down to the sea. Isaac and I are walking on water. <laughs> Penelope and, and, and Audrey. And um, the one thing about these places, a lot of people ask, are there mountains? It's not mountains. There's no mountains in these uh, three countries. It is like going through northern Illinois and southern Wisconsin. No, very, very true. Um, there is a Latvian Lutheran in our midst. I, I don't think Ramona is here today. Ramona Klukas is from Latvia. So if you know her, she's got family in Riga. She was very helpful for, for our trip. Um, anyways, she always teases them because they, the Latvians, they, oh, don't we have this beautiful, wonderful country? And she says, yeah, it's just like Wisconsin. <laughs> and I just rubs them the wrong way. Although I, I feel like that's a compliment. Because, you know, Wisconsin's God's country. Anyways, uh, for those who, who love the Narnia series, uh, there, there is a, uh, they have a bog. This is the Vero bog. And uh, the magician's nephew, where the children would jump into these ponds. Um, this whole area was just like that. I, I just, it was so wonderful to see. It was magical. It was kind of eerie but also great. So you actually, this was a tower in the middle of the bog, and you had to walk on these planks through, and it just went on for a long time. Okay, just, just in case you were interested. This is outside St. Mary's uh, Church. We met a very nice Arsenal fan from, uh, from England. He uh, turns out he's on the commercial for the Premier League. Anybody who's a soccer fan from last year, uh, yeah, and uh, we, he, uh, he's got, there's a lot of boat tours in Tallinn, Estonia, by the way, so a lot of, like, cruises will come, like, from 10 o'clock to about 3 o'clock, it's jam-packed with every, you know, these people carrying the signs, walking backwards, <laughs> talking, and he was on one of the tours, and he uh, was a photographer, and Holly and him, they kind of shared each other, you know, they shared about their cameras, and he was, he was retired. He was, it was great. Anyways, okay. Um, I, basically, I, t- I just shared everything that I just said. Um, so Latvia was our next stop. This is Riga. This is from the Tower of St. Peter. Um, we did a lot of, again, I already talked about this, how I tried to balance things. This is actually the Dome Cathedral. This is, uh, this is the Lutheran Bishop of, of Latvia it resides here. 
And his name is um, Bishop Janus Vagnus. So it'd be like John, John Vagnus. And a uh, very, very great guy. He, he's been the bishop of the Latvian Lutheran Church from the early 90s. He has the longest bishop, uh, serving bishop, basically in, um, in, in Lutheranism. He, uh, he was getting ready because uh, Pope Francis visited in September. So, um, and he actually came to visit the Lutheran bishop, which is unusual because um, oftentimes Lutheran bishops... The, the bishop who's always visited by the Pope is the one who's most, um, has the most Lutherans, who might not be the most, what I would say, biblical. But here in Latvia, he got visited by the Pope, which is a really extraordinary thing because uh, the, the bishop in Latvia has been a great supporter of uh, the Bible, Lutheran confessions, and, and right practice. And uh, so he's not really driven by political ideology. And that's really rubbed up against a lot of other people who, should, who says to the bishop, you got to get with the times. Stop. In fact, uh, a lot of the critiques from some of the, uh, I, the people who are driven by political ideologies say, you're bringing the church back into the 1500s. And for some people, they're like, well, that's good, actually. <laughs> Um, but for a lot of others. So anyways, so I, I just point that out. Um, we just, we got to meet him very briefly. This is inside the church. You can see all the white walls that were painted over. But, um, anyways, uh, again, I had to show the, the organ. It's an organ, Jimmy. Isn't that crazy? I know. Probably. Uh, this is the Rundal Palace, the Versailles of the North, um, the reason why I show you these is because, again, I dro- drove the children very hard, so hard. <laughs> this is Daphne sleeping on the steps of the Museum of Genocide. Uh, um, I know, it sounds like a great family time. <laughs> we, we, went, we went here because... Um, the Latvians are very proud of their history in fighting off the Soviets. And so they actually spend tons of money on this museum. This actually was a temporary location because they were renovating the main museum. Um, and, uh, and so all three of these countries have a very distinct way of talking about the Soviet Union as being an occupying force. They were, they were actually were not... They were... Uh, they celebrate 100 years of independence, even though 50 of those, they were ruled by the Soviet Union. But they, they actually don't consider them being ruled by them uh, because they were foreigners outside occupying force. So they're very proud of this, and they want to make sure that everyone knows this history. But it was a little too much for Daphne. So she tried to go to sleep. But then we balanced that with going to chocolate, the Chocolate Museum, it's like a, it's, it was a lot of fun. The the Lema Chocolate Factory, which has another great history. It's an, it's an old chocolate factory. It'd be like Hershey, I guess, here in the United States. But um, and and there was lots of great parks in Latvia. I don't know if there's any insurance agents, but I'm sure the liability was out. You know, just skyrocketed here in Latvia. Um, this is kind of hard to see, but. You can see some people, it looks like they're walking. 
This is this great high ropes course. This is Audrey. She's not too happy. <laughs> that was one of those moments where I think Clark, Clark Griswold was a little too powerful. Um, so anyway, so again, we balance the city and the uh, uh, nature life. One of the great things about Latvia and Lithuania was that we got to go to church. And the liturgy was the same. As a parent, I was so excited about this, that my children could go to church, even though they didn't understand a single word, they knew exactly where we were in church. I mean, Isaac, Isaac is back there, so I'm going to mention him. Well, we were in um, Lithuania. This is, oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, well, this is, a church, this is a statue of Martin Luther right outside the church in Lithuania, in Vilnius. Uh, he's like, how much longer? I'm like, Isaac, what just happened? It's like the sermon. I'm like, okay, great. What happens next? Lord's Supper. And then what happens? We're done. <laughs> it's like, yeah, so it's not much longer. Not much longer, buddy. So, um, and uh, they were great in Lithuania. Lithuania was the, 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 the place where my family got sick. So this was uh, very important to us. But we, uh, this was before our family got sick. The uh, Martin Luther statue out there was really, really great um, because, I don't know, it's kind of hard to tell. This is a very unique picture of, of a statue of Martin Luther. It, goes, it actually goes with my sermon from today. Most, most Martin Luther statues has Martin Luther pointing somewhere else. Yes, pointing to the book, which of course is the Bible. And what was interesting is the bishop in Lithuania said, but Luther, Luther understood the Bible as pointing to Christ. So it seemed like it was missing the point of pointing to the book. Because, of course, in the Reformation, there's a revival of Bible studying, the vernacular, reading the Bible in their own, you know, your own language. So he actually had Luther with the Bible and his eyes looking to Christ on the cross, fulfilling 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We know nothing but Christ crucified. I was like, man, that's genius. That's so great. So good. Um, I don't know if that will be a new thing in Luther statues, but uh, I hope it was. So anyway, so we took a picture by it. Um, do they use the same hymnal we do? Well, it's in Lithuanian. Yeah, no, no, yeah, same order. Yeah, same order, absolutely. Now, the one thing, again, um, in Lithuania is that uh, they, so during the Reformation, the forgiveness of sins and Holy Communion were kind of separated. So during the Reformation, there was a practice in some churches that would take the confession absolution that we have at the beginning and move it literally just before the service of the sacrament, like after the prayer of the church. And that's what they did here. Now, I knew that. I, in fact, I was like, oh, this is, this is interesting. It's kind of like history lesson. I'm like, oh, I read about this. I never knew I would see this in action. And it was for the same reason. Because in Lithuania, what's interesting is they have communion every Sunday, but not everyone will receive it. So there was about, a, you know, maybe a quarter of the congregation that just stayed in the pew. And the pastor is trying to help them get over this, I'm not worthy enough to receive communion idea, by putting the confession absolution right before that because now they have no excuse because what? 
They just had their sins forgiven. They're made white as snow. They're, you know, they're, 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 their sins, even though they're dirty rags, now are just like white snow. They're, they're pure. They're holy. So, um, so it, was, it was really great to talk to the pastor about why he was doing it that way. And then also realizing this wasn't an innovation, but it was something that was already done in a very traditional context, but kind of we don't do that here in the States. So it was, it, again, another stream of Lutheran history that we don't really know about, but is over 500 years old, which I think is just really great. Okay, um, so yeah, it's, it's the same, yep, they, the same, same form, you know, invocation, curiae, gloria, yep, Bible readings. Um, okay, this is inside the Vilnius Church, and this used, this, during communism, this was a uh, warehouse, Grain, a grain warehouse, I believe. Granary. And uh, they had a wall right down the middle. So it's hard to see, but the altar here actually has a, um, it has the nativity scene here. You can't see that, obviously, but uh, trust me. Uh, nativity scene, last supper scene, crucifixion scene. Resurrection uh, and slash ascension scene. Beautiful. Really beautiful. The pulpit's right here. Um, they have some saints here and some angels. But that was all like during communism. And then they had to renovate it. And it was uh, it's just, yeah, it's really cool. Unfortunately, either, um, either the iconoclasts, World War II, or the communists destroyed so much of Lutheran art. It's really sad. Um, in some of the places we visited, they have pictures pre-World War II, and it, it's like, you're like amazed. I mean, it's, it's so wonderful to see it, because, you know, that, that survived for so long. But war is a terrible thing. Again, another organ shot for, for those who love the organ. Now, um, we... we so this is Bishop Sabutis's, uh two of his three children. The third one is very passionate and did not want to be part of the picture. <laughs> so um, uh, John and uh, Elsa and Paul, Paul is, is um, but, and then Vilma and then Mindaugus, Mindaugus Sabutis, that's the Bishop Sabutis. They were very instrumental in caring for my family. So that was really important for Penelope and Daphne when they got sick. But what's interesting about this is, um, uh, is how these two and, and Paulus, when he wasn't cranky, um, our kids played together. They barely knew the language. Well, obviously my children didn't know any Lithuanian. Lithuanian, by the way, is one of the hardest languages in the world. It's related to Sanskrit. Go figure. It's an ancient language. Uh, so in all three countries, nobody expects you to speak their language. Nobody is offended if you were to like, try to speak their language. They would be like, what's wrong with you? How can you not speak my language? No, they're, they're actually very affectionate. Um, so, so anyway, so obviously my children don't know Lithuanian. And they're working on their English. But um, a great game of tag speaks is a universal language. So that was, that was a really great thing for my family during these three weeks was an opportunity to visit with another family. Again, pastor kids, a very unique bond between each other. 
Um, I had to speak at this church. I didn't preach. Uh, I, you know, this is another thing about learning about honor and respect in other countries. Two, two examples of this is right here. They wanted to honor me. So guess what I had to do? Hi, hi, I'm Pastor Nelson. I'm, you know, which I, 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 I really didn't want to do that. <laughs> I just wanted to go to church. Um, so, I, uh, anyway, this is my translator here. So, we just spoke about how we love, the, we love Lithuanians. But um, the other thing, too, about honor and shame is just visiting restaurants. Uh, they, they never presume anything about what you want. They find that presumptuous. So you always have to ask for something. Which for a lot of people is hard, right? You feel like you're making your waiter do a lot. No, that, that's... So, you want another cup of water? Ask for it. They're not going to come and give it to you. You know? It, it's, it's great, because they don't want to dishonor you by doing that. So... So don't be mad if you go to Lithuania and they don't like, send your check. You're like, what's going on around here? No. That's, that's very common in other countries, too. All right, again, this was, the, 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 um, this was a very powerful place, the KGB headquarters, that was now turned into a museum. They, uh, uh, the reason why this was so great was because uh, as people visited with my family, you saw people who lived through this time relive it but with the knowledge of knowing that they have been set free from Soviets. Uh, There was a great piece on a Roman Catholic priest that resisted against the communist and and was uh, uh, killed. And uh, we were outside, and there there was this group of women just crying the entire time as they read about him because they knew him. And it it was great for my children to see that, my youngest children to see, like, why are they crying? And you you find out. So it was very powerful. You got to see the, and, and that's why Audrey's face is one of like, ooh, what's going on around here? They're actually outside in the um, playground, well, whatever, the, uh, the yard, prison yard. And this was the beginning of my children's sickness. Isaac was sick that day, then Penelope and Daphne, and then Audrey got sick. Boom, boom, boom. All right, I, you know, we're running out of time. One last thing I want to say very quickly is uh, I want to point out this family right here. This, uh, I, I think I have a nice picture, nicer picture. Uh, Chris and Aaron Cipherline. They, uh, they took care of us. Uh, we had visited their congregation three times over the summer. Um, they have kids. You, you saw all the kids in that last picture. But they have six kids, three girls and three boys. And the ages are close to my children. And uh, I have to admit, he's he's. He's one of the great things over the summer that people have asked, what's my best thing about the summer? And it's, it's hard to say, but it's the Cypherline family, my favorite thing for the summer. They were the ones who brought us in. They let us stay there overnight. You, the people have asked, hey, where'd you go to church? We went to a church in Adel, Wisconsin, great parish, and they took care of our family. It was uh, one of the few times as a pastor where you, you're just, you're really, I kind of like a normal person. That might sound weird to you, but for, for pastors, hopefully, that, that means a lot to be just kind of, just, you're just kind of right, like a regular guy. And um, so being at the Cypher Lines, it was the time where, like, I, he cared for me. He heard my confession. He preached. He, 
Um, welcome to family. So a very powerful time. And then, of course, you know, learning about friendship. I realized, hey, this guy is actually my friend. And, and a guy that I can, you know, bear my soul to. And so that was, uh, that was a great thing I learned over the summer. One of the great things. But um, it's always good when pastor kids like each other. All right. Yeah, we're going to have to stop. Let's pray. <laughs> Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom, and the power, and the glory, forever and ever. Amen.